Welcome to Tiger Paw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tiger Paw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. Well, hey everybody, Wes McDonald here, and welcome to another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about customer service and keeping customers for the long haul. And we've got two specialists in this area, which I'm excited to have on today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So we have Joel Vaslow and Corey Oddbody. So thanks very much for uh, being with us today. And Joel, maybe I'll get you to uh, do an introduction first, and don't forget to share one thing about you that people may not know. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me as a guest, West. I'm Joel Vaslow. I am currently the Chief Operating Officer at TigerPaw Software. A um, couple of interesting things that people might not know about me is that I have lived in eight cities in seven states in the United States, and I have visited 47 of the 50 states. Just need uh, Idaho, uh, Montana, and Alaska. Well, get those knocked off your list. And uh, that's funny. I thought I lived in a lot of places. Leslie and I, uh, you know, obviously my wife, Leslie, we've lived in uh, most of the major cities in, in Canada, but we cannot touch that. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and uh, Corey, maybe you can introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Uh, Corey Advani. I'm the president of Americom Communications in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, we provide communication solutions, phone systems, cabling, security cameras, access control, pro audio video. A um, couple things about me people might not know. Um, I grew up on a farm uh, near Lincoln, Nebraska. So I'm a farm kid and uh, still go out there quite often. Um, I'm an avid musician and fisherman. Great. I know that you and I have had a couple conversations about uh, fishing. And sorry for the cheesy one-liner, but uh, I guess when you're growing up, you're wrangling uh, cattle and now you're wrangling cable. I don't know which one's tougher to wrangle, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's great. So one of the things I'm going to do, um, just to set the stage before we actually move into the questions, is go through some interesting statistics uh, that I gathered while doing some research through HubSpot. Why does customer service matter? I think we all know that it does, but the statistics might surprise some people. So 90% of Americans use customer service as a factor in deciding whether or not to do business with a company. That's sourced from American Express. Investing in new customers is between five and 25 times more expensive than retaining existing one. Uh, fully 49%, almost 50% of American consumers switched companies last year due to poor customer service. And 73% of customers fall in love with a brand and remain loyal because of friendly customer service reps. There are a couple of uh, bad statistics too. The number one reason that customers switch to a new brand has nothing to do with features, has nothing to do with functionality, is 100% from feeling unappreciated. And that comes from New Voice Media. And unfortunately, once you get a bad customer experience, it takes fully 12 positive customer experiences to make up for one of those bad ones. All right, so there's some of the statistics around why we need to do good customer service. And uh, before we get into uh, what you're doing with customer service today, maybe you can give us and our listeners a little background on what you were doing um, before your, your current positions? I'll start. So um, prior to joining TigerPaw, I spent uh, 15 years in actually doing market research and customer experience consulting. I had an opportunity during that time to work with uh, many very well-known national brands like Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, uh, Chick-fil-A, Hallmark, PetSmart, Petco. 
and have an opportunity to help those companies get data, get feedback on their customers, and um, teach them how they can actually improve uh, the, the experience that they were delivering to their customers across their different locations. And it's interesting because your current role is in operations, and yet I see a lot of that wrangling of data uh, really good in, uh, in both capacities, right? And how about yourself, Corey? What were you doing before? Um, I took over Americom 16 years ago, and before that, I spent um, about a decade in the carrier world with AT&T and companies like that, um, and worked in a couple small communications companies before that. So I've been in, before Americom, I was in uh, telecom sales roles uh, for most of my career. Interesting. And so uh, before my, you know, world uh, in Tigerpaw, and actually long before that, um, I actually worked in the telecom industry as well, but on the internet side of the business. Uh, one of the companies that, that purchased us uh, right towards the end of the dot-com and the early dot-bomb was uh, Telus Communications, which is one of Canada's largest, uh, you know, providers. All right, so let's get into it. And uh, Corey, maybe I'll start with you. If you're going to define customer service, how would you do that? What is customer service? Well, uh, certainly encompasses a lot of things, um, but really it's it's the the top to bottom experience and every every person that that touches that customer is part of their experience and, and part of the service they receive. If I had to can it into you know a, a small definition, a customer services. Uh, you kind of said it before, the way your customer feels after conducting business with you and, and what their interpretation of, of, of your company is and quite honestly, how much they think you care uh, about their business. Yeah, isn't it funny? And it really ties into that stat that I talked about, which was, you know, when people uh, decide to, you know, to leave a company uh, that they've been doing business with, that it really has nothing to do with the features and functionality and everything to do with what you just said, feeling, right? So Joel, maybe you can add to that. Uh, how do you look at customer service? What does it mean? Well, I, I want to piggyback on what Corey said at the end there, because it's, it's how the customer feels at the end. At the end of the day, what good customer service is, is defined by how the customers define it and what their perspective is. And it, it does differ uh, by industry, uh, by customer type, and what their individual mindset is when they, when they engage with you in an interaction. But the, to me, the real key is the word service. Um, you are literally serving somebody else um, in, in a role of servitude. And, and, and if you view it that way, I think you, you will always be successful in helping those customers feel better about their interactions with you. Yeah, I really like how you frame that in two ways. One is obviously, you know, the, the service aspect of it, that we are there for them and not the other way around. And secondly, that we've really got to understand how they define it. And that's probably the tricky part, right, is... Uh, each customer is different, finding out what they value in that uh, customer service experience. So the next question I want to ask is, and it, it may have an obvious answer, but what do you believe are the benefits of providing good customer service? You know, what are, what are the benefits in your mind? And uh, Corey, maybe I'll jump to you to start that one. It's a great question. And, and some of the answers are obvious, but uh, customer retention, you know, repeat business, deeper business, uh, depth of your, of your business with a client rather than trying to, you know, get uh, business uh, across a variety of clients. But to me, the, the number one thing is that it's just more fun to do business with people when mm -hmm. there's that trust and when they know that they can trust what you're saying. And when you have that open communication, to me, that's, um, you know, I've made a lot of friends uh, through business, personal friends. 
Um, but that, that trust is the key thing. And, and that's at the core of any great service relationship. And it's built over time. But once you get there, man, that's, it's a great place to be. And, and it's fun for, for us and it's fun for our customers as well. Well, what a great answer. I didn't expect, uh, you know, that, that the, the fun side of it. But then I look back on my own career and certainly uh, anytime I've been in service that the friendships that I've formed, uh, you know, have been amazing, right? So I guess if you're living a, a customer service, you know, driven business that you can't help but start to form some relationships with these people, right? And uh, what about you, Joel? What would you like to add to that? Well, yeah, so, so I actually think that is the, the more counterintuitive element of providing good customer services, the obvious things that Corey mentioned. But um, one of the things that, that um, I'll, I'll put a little bit different spin on it is good customer service leads to happy employees. And I say it's counterintuitive because the, uh, the academic research typically paints it the other way. It's if you have happy employees, they'll, you'll have happy customers. But just as Corey was describing, it's fun to deliver good service to folks. And so if your customer, your employees, excuse me, have an opportunity to provide good service and are making customers happy, they're gonna be happy. Um, and I've worked for companies, unfortunately, that didn't always do a great job with customers. And you had grumpy employees as a result of it because it sucked to not be doing well for the customer. Wow, that's a really neat perspective. So good customer service, we think of it, you know, just for customers, but you're saying that, no, 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 this goes way deeper than that. It's our own staff, it's our own people. And that, that to me feels like an e ecosystem, right? That, you know, every aspect of it, uh, as long as it's healthy, then the other, you know, parts are going to be healthy as well, right? Yeah. There's one other thing I'd, I'd like to add as well that's, that's a, um, I think, an underappreciated benefit. And it goes back to the idea that you're building a relationship when you, um, when you, when you do give good service to customers. It's uh, tolerance for mistakes. So if you've built up capital... Uh, with a customer because you've, you've typically served their needs well, they will be more tolerant when you make mistakes. And we all make mistakes. It happens in business. It happens all over life. Uh, but just like any, any kind of relationship you might have, your friends are going to be more tolerant of you uh, when you make a mistake. And customers, if you've been serving their needs, also will be more tolerant of you when you make those mistakes. And they'll be uh, easy, easier to resolve those things and, and keep them from getting in the way of future business. Well, so it actually gets you a little extra runway when you need it most. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and being uh, as we are in the world of uh, software and technology, uh, they don't necessarily, um, you know, work the way that we always want them to, right? So that uh, runway can sure come in handy. Well, if we know that, so everything I've heard so far is that, you know, we've got uh, this increased tolerance of mistakes. We've got happy employees. We've got happy customers. We're selling to them in a deeper way what can get in the way of that? So if we're trying to provide good customer service, what kind of things can actually get in the way of us doing that? In my perspective, the, the number one thing here is the people who serve our customers directly. And if those people don't thrive on serving others, aren't able to empathize and put their self, themselves in the shoes of the customer, we'll never be able to provide good service. It doesn't matter how many mantras we develop, how many rules we, we have, how uh, many concessions we're willing to give to our customers in the event of, of bad service. If, if our employees aren't wired to serve others, um, we'll never be able to, to succeed in providing good service. Isn't that fun? So it's actually a talent. You know, when I think of, uh, you know, different things, some people make good coders, uh, some people make uh, good marketing people, some people make good chief operating officers, right? And that, so that what you're saying is that that 
that customer-driven mind is also a talent. It's something that people actually have to, you know, they have to get satisfaction from, right? You can't force that on people. And to expand on Joel's point a little bit, and we'll probably touch on this more, but communication is the, the, the key to all of it. Um, so whenever I've seen a service breakdown, almost 100% of the time, it has to do with some kind of communication breakdown. And if we're not communicating um, uh, in the right ways with our clients, then, then that's on us. Um, occasionally, you know, you might get a client that doesn't think what we're doing is important or doesn't, is, has other priorities, doesn't want to talk about it, whatever. Sometimes those can be a challenge, but if you keep trying to communicate, those people will eventually, you know, find the time to, to give you the time they need. But if we're not communicating in the right ways, and there's so many ways to communicate, email's great. You have a documented path of what you've done, but man, nothing beats picking up the phone and talking to somebody. And sometimes it's tough to get people to do that. The phones don't bite. I don't know, you know, what we're afraid of, but that usually solves everything. Uh, and if you can have that conversation in person, even better. But to me, that's where the rubber really meets the road is, is those types of communications. So it's the personal touch too, right? And uh, obviously at the time of recording, uh, hopefully some people will be listening to this in a different time, but we are still going through a, a pandemic and those in-person meetings are uh, rather difficult uh, compared to how they used to be. I agree with you, you know, picking up the phone or doing a Zoom call like this, that personal, you know, attention to those uh, to those customers. And and frankly, email and, and text have never done that for me. But when I talk to somebody, have a conversation, uh, then you certainly feel that. And, and Joel, what about from your own experience as well? Is that, you know, have you seen that communication is important, that personal touch? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's where you can convey um, your intent more easily than you can in, in the written communication. And um, you can hear the intent of the customer. And again, if you're going to serve somebody else, you need to understand what's going on with them. And, and so much of that is lost in an email. And, and, and to Corey's point, if you're sending an email to somebody that is a one-way conversation, yes, they can reply back, but each part of it is one way versus a phone call or an in-person meeting. That's a two-way uh, conversation. There's cues there that you would uh, have access to that you wouldn't normally have access to uh, in written communication uh, that can make it easier for you to, to meet the needs of the person you're serving. Yeah, and, and you know, what you say there is about the, the tone and the context is so critical. And I've been guilty of this myself where I've sent an email or a text, which I thought was just straight business, right? Like I was just laying out the facts only to find out days later that the person I was sending it to was mortified and terrified of talking to me because they thought it was like a, you know, a condemnation of their, you know, what, what their approach was or what they were doing. And it's like, no, that was not my intention at all, right? And uh, so certainly that that personal touch, uh, even us right now being on, you know, kind of a video conference for those that are actually watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see a lot more going on. And that's really important, right? That human touch. Yeah. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to convey to our, to our listeners or viewers that um, written communication is, is not okay in any, in any situation. Um, but, uh, but I would just suggest that in the event that that's the, the method you choose to use or that you have to use um, before you press send, reread it. If, if there's some potential for controversy, have somebody else read it and imagine your, yourself in the recipient's shoes about how they might uh, receive it. And um, sometimes for me, it's, it's um, I don't know if it's embarrassing or not, but sometimes I, I spend an inordinate amount of time on like a two-line email uh, because I want to make sure uh, that I'm not, um, you know, opening myself up to misinterpretation of my intent in the words that I'm, I'm conveying. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned as well, especially with email communication and text, is to make use of an introductory statement and a finishing statement, which have nothing to do with the topic and everything to do with the person. So generally asking, hey, you know, uh, Corey, miss you. I heard you had a great fishing trip. Can't wait to, to catch up on that. You know, on to business, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of it, the same thing. Uh, Corey, you know, let's set up a time to be able to, you know, connect on the phone. Can't wait to, can't wait to talk, right? Because then you're framing that person at the beginning and the end, not the, you know, not the, the stuff that you're trying to talk about, right? So I don't know if you guys, you know, do that too, but I find it very useful. I don't do it as often as I should. I do, I do. I mean, I am mindful of it in a sense. Yeah. And again, uh, unlike you, you're spending a lot of time doing the operational stuff now, and I'm spending a lot of time uh, on the writing end of things for blogs and everything else. So I try and pay a little more attention. Hopefully it's happening. <laughs> I like Joel's comment about rereading emails because I'll do the same thing. I'll have people come in and read this over. It's so easy for written communications to be misinterpreted. Um, and, and it happens every day, even in very simple things and personal communications. But um, even the best written email can be taken in, in a number of ways. And the nonverbal communication of being able to see the person or be in the same room as the person there's a whole lot of um, communication that happens non-verbally uh, in those situations to the point of cues and things like that. Uh, so written communications are great. It's efficient. You can reach a lot of people, but your message has to be on point every time or you can open up a Pandora's box pretty quick. Well, you, you touch on something that's so important there. So a lot of people don't realize this, but when I you know, produce my blogs and my podcasts and everything else, I don't just make them and then send them out the door that the first thing I do is go back to my team, go back to Joel, go back to James, go back to other people in our organization to go through that stuff, provide their edits, provide commentary on something that might've been missed or something that might've been off the mark, et cetera, right? So even though it's got my name on it and it, it goes out the door, you know, as my product, I'm just the person at the start at the end that those communications are always going through that, that bench, right? Like, you know, you look at any sporting teams, they, when they talk about having deep benches because it's not just about the superstar like LeBron James that you see, you know, that everyone's trying to get, you know, cards for, right? That there's a team behind, you know, those people that actually make things, those things happen. So I like that. You introduced this idea earlier, uh, Joel, about, you know, that not everyone's built for um, customer service, that they're not driven by it. So let's take a minute and talk about when we're looking for new people and when our listeners are looking for new people, what kinds of things do you do to better assess customer service skills in the actual hiring process? And I'll start with you on that, Joel. I love this question because even prior to the, the 15 years I spent advising companies on, on customer experience, I worked uh, for a couple of large organizations on hiring practices, and that's actually my graduate training. So oh. uh, this is near and dear to my heart in, in, in finding the right folks for your organization. Uh, with customer service, it doesn't have to be complicated. Yes, there are uh, assessments out there that you can use if you're hiring a lot of people. Um, and, you know, for the same types of roles uh, that have been validated and, um, and, and confirmed that they actually work and predict good customer service. But there's some really simple things um, that you can do that we do here at Tiger Paw uh, to make sure that the people that you bring in the door are suited for customer service roles. Number one and number two are both visual things that you should pay attention to in an interview process. Does the person smile in a resting state? And you might ask, what does that have to do with customer service? Because if the person is grumpy and they just have a scowl on their face all the time, that's how their persona is going to be perceived by others who they're interacting with, whether they can see them or not. 
And they just might be a grumpy person who's not excited about serving other people. So look for that smile when you're interviewing people. The other thing is eye contact. Um, you know, Corey was talking about the personalization, picking up the phone or that in-person meeting. You know, going to an in-person meeting and just looking down at your phone or looking down at your paper, that's not the same thing as, as looking across the table, looking somebody in the eye, you know, you know meet, meeting their gaze and, and reading their cues. So it, as you're interviewing, yes, I get it, people are, are nervous during the interview process, but if they're looking at the people in the room who are interviewing them, that's another good sign that they could be wired uh, for customer service. Do they use your name? That's personalization. Some of that personalization, you talked about the written communication, that's a verbal cue to you that they recognize that they're not just there for a job and with the company, that they're working, have potential to work with the people in the room and, and need to know those names. Uh, so, so those are some of the, just the observational things, but then some techniques that, uh, that we like to use in our interview process, there's two of them. It's, it's two questions we like to ask about. One is, can you tell me a time you had a difficult interaction with the customer and how you handled it and what the outcome was? And, and when, you, when you ask that question, it's not just, hey, did they resolve it? What you need to be listening for is empathy. Did they understand why the customer was upset? Because almost always it's gonna be an upset customer, right? Did they acknowledge without your prompting why the customer was upset and, and, and acknowledge that that was okay? Uh, did they accept personal accountability for helping the customer resolve their issue, regardless of whether it was their issue or not. So let's say you're on, you know, you're doing phone support and you had nothing to do with writing the, the software. Um, did you say, yeah, our, our developers, um, you know, screwed that up, but let me help you? That's not personal accountability. Or did you say, you know what? Um, this is something that we obviously need to address. I'm gonna do everything I can in my power to help you. Those are the kinds of things you wanna to listen to in their, their description of that scenario. And, and really going back to the empathy is no denigration of the customers, not say, hey, we've all dealt with that jerk customer, you know, that, that, that couldn't, couldn't help themselves or whatever. If, if they put any of that in there, if, they, if that's the way they talk about the customers in the interview process, don't hire them. They will not serve your customers well. The last thing that, um, that, I, that I would add that we put in our interview process, especially for our customer facing roles is a question that you asked us earlier. How do you define good customer service? ask that person to define it. If they're, if they're cognizant of that, of that in their own life, about what makes for a good customer experience just in terms of their own needs and, and uh, can describe a good customer experience they've had with some retail vendor or some other, other um, service provider they've interacted with, if they recognize it, then they're, they're more likely to be able to deliver it to, to others uh, on your behalf. That's an amazing list of, uh, I would say, very easy ways uh, to kind of, uh, you know, sort of what kind of people would be good in those positions, right? And, you know, the one point that you mentioned there is when, you know, you talk about taking responsibility, even if it wasn't your direct action, I've always called that falling on the sword, right? In other words, right. although you're not directly responsible for that, that thing that might have happened, you are still as a representative of that company directly responsible for their experience, right? So it doesn't matter, you know, who's at fault trying to push blame and everything else. All the customer wants to know is that you're listening and that you care. I love this idea of empathy, right? Being able to, you know, to do that. So, so Corey, what about yourself? When you are looking at uh, people for customer service in your organization, what are you looking for? You know, everything Joel just went through is pure gold. I mean, that, that nails it. <clears throat> I think part of, um, to expand on one of those points, I think part of what happens as human beings, when there's an upset customer, as human beings, we get defensive. Yes. And well, that's not my fault. It's the programmer's fault. So don't blame me. 
But that's not what it's about to, to what you were saying, West, is I'm representing this company. So if you had a bad experience, I'm sorry that happened. How can I help you resolve this? Uh, but I see people get defensive personally, even if it's not about them. The person's upset about business, not at them. So being able to separate yourself and not get defensive, but to immediately put yourself in that person's shoes and, and, and have the empathy to try to find a resolution. That's kind of a human uh, roadblock that we have to get over sometimes. And some people are better at it than others. Um, the only thing I would add to what Joel said, uh, and, and actually there's a couple of things I'm going to start doing out, out of what Joel said, uh, specifically asking people to define customer service, I think is sweet. Uh, the only other thing I would add is we really look through resumes and I've seen so many of them that I can look through a resume and just look at where that person has been. Um, how long have they been there? Longevity in positions, what kind of positions and their description. And you can get a pretty good idea of a person once you've seen enough resumes. Um, it's kind of a leading indicator. You still need to have that conversation and ask those questions, but you can glean an awful lot of the experience that, that someone's been through. I was just thinking actually of my own summary when I look at it in LinkedIn. And one of the things I talk about is the service to the dealer uh, and the vendor community, helping them to, uh, you know, flex with changing business models. Right. And that, you know, leading with a service statement, I guess in that summary is, is pretty easy to spot right away. Right. So I had a question for Corey as a, as a follow-up. So, so Corey, you, you have to hire people that have uh, specific technical aptitudes. Uh, who are going to be then directly interacting with your customers as well. How do you, how do you effectively balance uh, the need for that technical aptitude and the need for the good customer service skills when you're hiring? That's a great question because some of the smartest technical guys are not the most social guys sometimes. Uh, when you find that unicorn that has both, that's a, a wonderful thing. And we've got a number of guys like that here at Americom, but um, that balance can be interesting. And and sometimes in our world, that technical knowledge is, is necessary and, and very valuable. Um, so I'd be lying if I said there wasn't times in the past that we had to kind of, you know, here's the guy that's going to do it, but why don't you work through this project manager type of thing? <laughs> it's not ideal to make those kind of concessions, but uh, sometimes in our business, we do it. We're pretty blessed that we've built a team that can communicate well and, and do those things. But yeah, those unicorns can be hard to find sometimes. Well, it's interesting you call that a concession, Corey, because I what I would suggest is that's that's just doing that's good business, right? So you need the technical expertise as you described. You have to have somebody that, that, that gets all of that stuff. They don't have to be the people that are on the front lines. Right. And if you can and if you can complement that person um, with somebody else on your team that gets the the customer side of it, that's uh, that's a win win. Yeah, I, I was just thinking of uh, that exact thing, which is you know, Corey, what you said was you're just being honest with your customer saying, look, this person that we've got assigned to you technically is the best we have, but they're not the most social people. But, you know, this project manager we have, that's who you need to be speaking with, work through them. I think as, as long as the customer understands the rules of engagement with who is actually going to provide the customer service, Joel, to your point, that's all you have to accomplish. It doesn't always have to be in the same, you know, body, right? But certainly I love the expression unicorns. When you can find somebody who's technical and provides that level of uh, customer service, do everything you can to hold on to them. Make no mistake, they're not everyday people, right? So, Typically, uh, even those types of individuals that may not be as social as some, once they've worked with that client a few times and developed that relationship and that trust, then everything's fine. Um, once you know the, the client understands that personality or whatever the case may be, 
and they trust that the job will be done right, then things kind of seem to, to take care of themselves over the course of time and those communication channels are built. And, and then things, um, you know, as with any customer, uh, you, you get that dozen good experiences. You never get a, a second chance to make that first experience. Uh, so once that happens, then the, the runway and the leeway that we spoke about before, those things all come into play. Hey, I think it's probably a good time to start talking about a little of our own experience because we are not only providers of good customer service, but we're also customers, right? And maybe I'll, I'll start this one off and it kind of ties into what we were talking about before we started recording. Uh, you know, for those, my interesting fact, I guess I didn't give earlier is that I love kayak fishing, right? And the company that I bought a kayak from, uh, Pelican Sport, uh, typically has not been in the, you know, the, the angling community for fishing kayak and uh, especially ones with pedal drive systems. So I had read some things online um, about the first generation pedal drive not being that reliable. And they said, well, they must have gotten the bugs worked out. Well, sure enough, when I bought it, they didn't. So four hours into my first trip, uh, the pedal drive failed, right? So it's kind of hard to move around when, you're, when your drive's not working. But what I will say is that the customer service, when I got in touch with Pelican uh, to get a replacement for that thing, it was no questions asked. They said, we're sorry for your experience. What's your shipping address? We'll make sure you have the new drive within four days, right? So sure enough, three days later, brand new drive, you know, arrives in the thing. Not the, the last of the failures. So the second drive had another problem. Again, the same thing. We are so sorry. We've just updated the drive. We're sending you the new one. Uh, it's actually uh, worth more money than the original drive system, but we've worked out the bugs and, you know, we'll send that to you, right? So uh, even though that drive system failed on me twice, when people ask me, should I buy uh, the Pelican Catch 130? Guess what my answer is? Absolutely. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything's going to have a, a problem, but when you need support, uh, they, they just give it. It's not a question of what did you do wrong? Did you hit a rock or you must have hit a tree stump or whatever, right? Nothing. So that's my own personal um, experience in a company I really admire uh, for their level of customer service. And after the third drive, I'm telling you, it's beautiful. So admiring that now too, right? So Joel, maybe I'll move to you. Uh, what companies or company of you know, do you have some stories to share your own experience? So, so I, have, I have several. So I'll, I'll, serve, I'll start with my personal one, and then I'll talk about a, a couple that I had the, the, uh, the privilege to serve and, and, and helping them with their customer experience with their customers. Uh, from my personal experience, Southwest Airlines, um, I used to travel a fair amount uh, for business and um, always enjoyed um, Southwest. I understand their seating approach isn't for everyone. Um, but one of the things I admire about their service is just the, the um, insane amount of empathy that their employees have. Just the number of times I was able to witness flight attendants or pilots who could read the cues of the, of the, 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 the passengers on a plane and know when somebody was frightened because maybe it was their first trip or know that somebody was on their way to something that may not have been an unpleasant um, uh, experience or somebody was on the way to celebrate something and there, the way that they were able to um, to lean into that experience and, and help that person have a better experience overall. Um, Southwest Airlines is obviously known for uh, some of their tongue-in-cheek humor as they do their safety announcements, uh, but, but also just, you know, that, that's part of that whole thing I was talking about, you know, smiling in the resting state. You look at the flight attendants on Southwest Airlines and 90% of the time, which is much higher than any other airline I've ever been on, they're smiling. They're smiling as they go about their work. And, um, and they really, as a company, you can, and you can see it in a lot of different artifacts, they understand that customers are their business. If you open an AD in-flight magazine, um, 
Yes, you'll see in a profile of one of their employees, but you will also see a profile of a customer. Oh. How many other airlines do that? How many other airlines put their customers uh, front and center and say, here's who we serve as a reminder, not just to themselves, but to everybody else. So I really admire them uh, from a personal experience. I love that. Um, I will pick, well, I'll just pick one of my others uh, in West. You and I talked about this before, but Chick-fil-A. So, so I, I, I do consider myself very privileged to have uh, served Chick-fil-A um, as, as one of my clients for, for many years. And um, just in awe of the, the lengths that they go to, to find the right people to bring into their organization. So Corey was talking about resumes before. Um, Chick-fil-A competes for the same labor as McDonald's and Burger King and Subway and the other fast food companies that if you ask some of the franchise owners in those organizations, because I've asked them, why don't, you know, why can't you find good people to serve your restaurants? Ah, they just, you know, the, the labor market is, it's horrible and teenagers don't want to work, teenagers don't want to provide service. Chick-fil-A is pulling from the same labor pool, but how do they go about it? One of the things is they look for is uh, some history of non-work experiences that indicate this is somebody that is a leader. This is somebody that serves. Uh, and, it, and it comes at a cost to them, not as in terms of more, a uh, higher, higher uh, wage rate, but in terms of schedule flexibility. So they will look for that teenager who has lots of extracurricular commitments, who's in you know, sports, who's in band, in, in you know, uh, clubs at school, who is active in, the, in, their, in their church, uh, all of those things, because that is an indicator to them of somebody who enjoys being around other people. Um, and if they've got leadership roles, um, then, then they enjoy serving others. And then Chick-fil-A will uh, um, accommodate that, that person's schedule because they know they're getting the right people in. Other providers, they do the opposite. They say, you, you will accommodate our schedule as, a, as an employee, and they get you know, folks that don't have as many commitments. Uh, another thing that they really talk about that, that I think uh, sets them apart is service as a calling. And they, they really believe that they don't just serve chicken sandwiches. They are there to serve others. That is part of, and it is not just a mantra, it is really how they, um, they operate their business. As I talked about at the beginning, that idea of servitude, it is real, it's a real thing for them. They are serving people every day. And you know the final bit is that, that empathy piece, and, and I think I shared this, this video with you, West, and, and maybe we need to put it in the in the blog for the podcast. But um, they have a video that they produced, really just for internal purposes, which is uh, everybody's got a story. I think is is what it's called. Um, and I'll make sure there's a link here in the in the video for people as well. Awesome. So if you're watching, so, here's the link. It's coming. There so it so in in that video, um, it shows people coming into a Chick Fil A restaurant and has little thought bubbles over their heads about their their life experiences. And it's teaching their team that, um, and this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about how do you define good customer service? It's not just um, you know, the type of business that you're in or the type of customer you serve, it's what they bring to each and every transaction um, that can determine what can make for a good customer service experience. And so I just, I, I admire them for the lengths that they go to, to uh, find the right people, um, to make service more than just um, a sideline that's making you know a higher calling and, and um, the the amount of empathy that they show uh, for for their customers and and how they how they explain that empathy and the need for empathy to all their employees. Well, I think those are two great examples, and the one that you gave for Southwest. Um, once you get used to how they board the plane, I actually love it. The first couple times, it was confusing because it was so different from how the other you know um, airlines did it. 
Um, but also a cautionary tale. So a similar airline uh, in Canada that I used to love doesn't really feel much different to me anymore than any of the big ones. And that's uh, WestJet. So they had all the same thing, you know, very funny kind of ways to introduce the safety videos and, you know, all the rest of it. But over time, as they've grown, uh, it's almost like they looked at that, that customer-centric approach as a way to grow. And then once they got to a certain size, that they had to shift and become more like some of the larger, you know, other organizations, right? So that's the cautionary tale is that, you know, I don't think you can ever forget what got you there and that those things matter and, and people will remember, right? So for me, that experience is remembering what it used to be like being one of their customers. And then today, that experience is different, right? And don't get me wrong. It's not a, it's not a terrible experience. It's a great airline. It's just not what it used to be, right? I feel like I've lost a friend. <laughs> and uh, Corey, maybe you want to share uh, some of your own uh, experiences. What companies do you admire uh, for customer service? Yeah, I've been sitting here thinking about it as, uh, as you guys have shared your stories. And really the one that sticks out, this may be kind of weird, but the one that sticks out to me is my credit card company. Capital One is a credit card that we use. And we have some other ones too. And, and what comes to my mind is the difference um, between uh, two in particular. And, you know, any interaction I've ever had with Capital One, the people have been pleasant. They, they you know, address my need. They ask if I need anything else. But another part of my experience with them doesn't have to do with any human interaction. It has to do with alerts I get on my phone or via email saying, hey, this is some weird activity on your card. You better check this out. Or this one's really weird. We're not going to do it until, you know, we won't allow this transaction to you say it, that it's okay. Um, they're really, really good at it. And I don't get hit with a bunch of nonsense. I don't get hit with a bunch of things that don't matter. They keep it to business. When I have had to call in and in, in situations,